I'm so excited tonight. Um, many of you heard we were going to live stream in Pastor Rob McCoy. And um, Pastor Rob McCoy is a man who holds a, a, a dear place in my heart because, um, well, I'm going to explain more of that when, he, when we, we invite him up. But um, we've been doing some incredible things for the Lord. The Lord's been doing some incredible things in us and through us, and uh, we just have such a kindred spirit, and I, I look at the experience he has, the things that God has used him to do, and I aspire to be more like Pastor Rob McCoy. Uh, and so I, I just have the great privilege and honor of not saying he's zoomed in tonight, but saying he is here live and in person. So please welcome out Pastor Rob McCoy. Awesome. Now that you're here, it's such an awesome thing to have you here. You know, um, I just want to tell everybody kind of how we met. Um, the first time we met was uh, Don Dix. You guys all know Don Dix. He's here tonight. Where is Don? Don is right there in his usual spot. There he is. Uh, Don's here every week. You know, um, in fact, Don was supposed to be here up here with us tonight, and then because we were going to zoom you in, and then I said, "I'm sorry, Don. Could you mind just let let." <laughs> Let Pastor Rob have that chair. He's like, of course. Um, but he, he put together the Unite IE Conservative Conference. And it was this great conference where um, he was bringing different, different people together. Brandon Straka from the uh, Walkaway Movement, he was there. Um, we had uh, Rebecca Friedrichs, who's... Everybody was there. Yeah, it was just a great conference. But it was cool because... Um, he brought three pastors together to speak at this, and they're pastors that were involved in this, what I call the fight. We're involved in the, the stance for righteousness. And um, he, he brought out three pastors, Jack Hibbs, Rob McCoy, and myself. And it was kind of like, okay, we're getting the really big, big church, which is, let's face it, that's Jack Hibbs. You know, I don't know how many thousands of people go there. But then there was the, the big church, which was Rob McCoy. And then there was that little teeny tiny guy, Pastor Tim Thompson. And, uh, and I just, you know, for me it was like, I've, I've been watching everything that Pastor Jack and Pastor yeah. Rob have been doing. And, and you, you've just been paving the way for so many pastors and engaging in the public square in ways that most pastors don't. And uh, so for me, it was just a privilege to meet you there. And then from that point, we've just, our paths keep, yeah. keep crossing, like constantly. Um, so um, Don's, it, Don's a conduit. He is. Yeah, yeah he, he, knows, he, he knows how to connect. I got to tell you people. a story. Yeah. So Don, you set that up, and uh, it was on a Sunday afternoon. And I finished preaching the two services uh, my assistant comes out and says, you're supposed to be in an event at 3 o'clock or something. I said, where? And she said, Ontario. I had no idea. You know, I, I, I was out of control. So I, I thank God I was wearing a blazer. I get in my car. I get there with like five minutes to spare. I don't know what this event is. <laughs> I, dead serious. And it's thousands of people. And I, I figure I'm on a panel with you. And I see Jack. And I'm like, good. I, at least they can talk and I can pretend like I know something. <laughs> 
And as I'm on that panel, and, and it's you know, just so warmly received, and listening to Don speak, and just the joy of it, and realizing how significant it was, and there in the wings that was going to speak right after us was Charlie Kirk. Mm-hmm. I didn't know Charlie from Adam. I didn't know who he was. My son adores him, my youngest son, and, Dad, you got to get to know this guy. I'm like, who is he? Because I don't do social media. So I finished speaking. I come down, and Charlie said, I didn't know pastors like you guys existed. I go, what do you mean? He goes, engage in the public square, fighting. I go, well, yeah, these guys are amazing. And he goes... Wow, and I said, can I take a picture with you for my son? We do a little video, end of story. I end up running to him at Liberty University. We've become the closest of friends. He remembered the event that Don had put on, and now I'm his pastor, and he's coming, you know, it's just, it, it, doors opened as a result of you, sir, so I, I salute Don Dix. For those of you who don't know, Charlie Kirk is actually going to be out at 412 Church in San Jacinto, not this Sunday, but the following Sunday. So if you haven't gotten in, signed up to go to that, try to sign up. Yeah, Charlie's going to be at 412, you know, not this Sunday, but next. He's going to be at our church this Sunday. So I just wanted to, just want to throw that out there. You know. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> so you got two opportunities in the next two weeks. So uh, make use of those opportunities. It's been just an amazing thing seeing Charlie grow. Yeah. Um, I mean, the guy is just brilliant. I would never want to get in a debate with him. Um, maybe a fist fight, <laughs> but not a debate. I'm just joking. I don't want to fight. You guys are going to think I want to fight people. <laughs> Only some people. Um, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's been just great. I, I counted a, a blessing to, to be your friend and to have you as a friend of mine. And, um, I'm just so grateful that, that our paths keep crossing, and I know that God's got us in this fight for a reason. Um, you know, of course, when we found out that you were going through what you're going through, um, my, my heart was just breaking for you. My wife and I, we, my wife was in tears. We were just, I, I felt like I was going to throw up. Hmm. Just Don't um, do that. Don't do that. Yeah, I mean, I just, it, it sickens me to know what you're going through and, and what your wife is going through and your children are going through. Because the yeah. thing is, as a pastor, it's not just you. It's, it's yeah. your entire family and your entire congregation. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I appreciate your, your, your concern and your love. And, and kudos to you and your congregation because uh, I've been doing interviews after we violated the restraining order that the judge had placed on the church. And when we showed up, when I do these interviews, I tell everyone that our congregation was allowed to worship on that Sunday because churches like yours came out in droves to be a guardian so that you would get the citations <laughs> while we were. And, I, and, and that speaks volumes of the love of Christ, the selflessness, that you all came out to be in the thousands in front of the church in case they wanted to come and shut us down and, and cite one to a thousand is what the restraining order said. And you guys are like, I'm ready. I, I can't wait to frame mine. And I, you guys are fearless. So. God bless you guys. Um, and you, the best definition I've ever heard of a friend is that when the whole world goes out, they come in. And that's you. Amen. Well, thank you. Yeah. Okay. God bless you. Um, Talk about how this has shaken you. I mean, it, it, this has to be shaking you. And, and maybe not everybody here knows, but you were on the city council. You were an elected official when COVID started, and you're, you're not anymore. Right. And that says a lot. We were talking earlier about knowing your calling. Yeah. And, um, and knowing to, to not get, to get, get distracted. And make, you want to make sure you are just not to the left or the right, but you are right where God wants you. Amen. Yeah, so I, I ran for office and, and won. 
Um, and then I was the mayor pro tem when we had that awful mass shooting in our city. Right. Twelve of our young people were killed in a country western dance place. Two of them were our congregants. Uh, we, the one, Dan Manrique, did our special needs ministry, Marine, and, mm. and uh, the gunman killed him. Um, so I went through that, and, and right after the shootings, we had the fires. So that was a day from hell for our city. And I went to be with the families that night as they were waiting word from the sheriff to uh, say who the victims were. They were waiting for identification. And, and these are parents that had called the hotline. Their children hadn't come home. And as the night went on, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, you know, we, we put them in the Alex Fiore Teen Center, and they were waiting there. And I went and stayed the night with them because I'd been a sheriff's chaplain like you. Mm-hmm. And I, I just wanted to be with them. So we went through the night and then late into the morning. And then early afternoon, they began notifications. And all the other council members were happy I was with them, and I had told them I was doing it. Well, late into the night, the news camera showed up, and the uh, information officer uh, came out, and he said, they want to do an interview. You're the mayor pro tem. Come out. And I said, no, call the mayor. He goes, no, you're it. Uh, the mayor said, you take it. So I did all these interviews that night and invoked the Lord and talked about the Lord and said, please pray for us. And I, I, it was kind of a blur. I don't remember much of it. And I went back in to be with the families. Well, in the morning when everyone woke up, they saw my face all over, you know, everywhere. And then uh, it, that was in November. December, I became mayor. And then that's when we started to dedicate the freeway to Officer Helis, who had been killed. And we did the memorial for the victims. And we had done all the services. And I got to know all of the elected officials in the county. And I have a love for them. I really do. Even, even Linda Parks, the lady who's put this forward. And right. so in the midst of that... Um, I, I loved serving the city. I love the city. And then when the governor pits the city against religious liberty and, and says that church is non-essential, that th- those two words just don't go together. Mm-hmm. And in a pandemic, a church is probably the most essential. Right. It is the most essential. Yes. So, so when he, he literally closed the churches on our Holy Week, uh, the first Sunday of the month for us is communion. That's a sacrament. And Palm Sunday. And we were set to have communion. And we were going to follow CDC standards. Our sanctuary holds 400. We were going to put 10 seats in. 10. Oh and gosh. spray everything down. Everyone wore a mask. Because we didn't know the severity of the virus at that point. And we wanted to honor the governor. But he called us non-essential. We're still having communion. And people came out in droves. They waited hours to take communion. Separated six feet apart. While we did it just like any other, you know, cannabis was essential. Liquor stores. <laughs> but not the church. That night... Saturday night before the Palm Sunday, I realized this had gone out all over the world. Uh, the daily news had picked it up, and people were sending me articles. We didn't do a press release. I don't know how it got out. And I realized at that moment, the council was going to be inundated. And um, I prayed about it. I didn't even talk to my wife. The Lord just said one word to me, resign. So I, I called the city manager 10 o'clock at night, and I said, I hate to do this to you because I was on two critical committees. I said, this is, they're going to have to censure me, and it's not going to end. I don't see it ending. And I never thought the governor would do this to churches, but I have to resign. And I did. And we had the communion, and then we opened like you did May 31st. You were actually open earlier like we were too. Yeah. But, but when we realized, we, like you, we've done live streams every night. And we've educated people on, on the virus. We know who it affects. We know the death rate, one one-hundredth of one percent in, in Ventura County. Even those who have been diagnosed with it, it's less than a percent. Right. So we, we, and we know who it affects, 65 and older with comorbidity. So we opened, we did, you know, uh, ionization machines and, and UV lights. 
you can use hand sanitizers, but fellowship is not conducive when you're wearing a diaper on your face right. and, and you, 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 know, you, can't, you can't hug. So, right. so we, we opened up, and we've been open since May 31st to now. How many people have gotten sick? Okay, first of all, no one's even contracted the virus. 85% of the people who get the virus don't even know they've had it. So no one's even been tested positive. We've had a number of people tested. No one's tested positive. No one's contracted it from our, our congregation, and no one's been sick or hospitalized from our congregation. Yet, yet, the, yet, yet the judge ruled on a scale of 1 to 10, the first judge, scale of 1 to 10, as far as danger is concerned, I view your church as a 10. Now, now here's the kicker. This, this is vcemergency.com. It's the county numbers. I, I don't make these up. These are their numbers. If you go by zip code, our church is located in the 91320 zip code. That has the lowest number of positive cases of any residential region in the entirety of the county. The only places that are lower are Piru and Somis, which are rural. We're the lowest residential region. Not only has no one contracted, no one's gotten sick from it, but we are a 10 out of 10. 10. And that merits shutting down and banning worship. Never before in the history of the world. You quarantine the sick, not the healthy. Right. When, when have we ever experienced this? It's draconian overreach by the government. And the last thing. I get this complaint, and so do you. How, how can you love your neighbor by exposing them to the COVID? And my response is, first of all, we're not exposing them to COVID. We've done our homework. Secondly, we are loving our neighbor. We're loving our neighbors, the 65% of the restaurants that will never open again because their businesses have been destroyed by these draconian measures. We love our neighbors who have been unemployed by no choice of their own because of these draconian measures. We love our neighbors whose children are special needs and haven't had their, their care, uh, the, the kids that can't go to school, the, the husband or the wife that has been sequestered in quarantine with her abusive husband and the child who's been abused, and the two reporting agencies, mandatory reporting agencies in the state of California, churches and schools have both been closed, so they're getting abused. I love those neighbors. That's why we're pushing back on a government that is overreached. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's a beautiful thing to see you doing that because there are plenty of churches that aren't. And that just breaks my heart. I know that breaks the heart of the Lord. And, um, and I, I've looked at it this way. So I've been engaging in the public square less time than you. But it's, for me, it's been uh, about eight years of, of me really trying to engage. And over the course of those eight years, it just kind of ramped up. And so I look at all, some of the pastors who haven't made that stance right away. Um, and I've seen over the course of time, like look at John MacArthur right away. He was, he was all hook, line, and sinker with the whole COVID thing. But you give him five months and he came around. Um, there are some pastors that, that they're not engaged. They're not exercised into this whole, because this has become very political. They're not exercised in the political arena. They haven't engaged. They don't, first of all, they don't even know who the politicians are. They, yeah. they don't know who they are. So they, they, they have no relationships can't call up their assembly member because they don't know their assembly member. They don't have the cell phone number of their assembly member. You know, they don't have these relationships, so this hits and they don't know what to do. You know, So it, some of them, we, we really need to just encourage along. I want to talk about that a little bit more, but, and I'm sure you have a whole lot to say I, about I can that. jump in if Go you ahead. want. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of double Dutch. I'm kind of <laughs> uh, you know, I, I love the way God's wired you. You are, you're a pit bull for Jesus. <laughs> Thank you. 
I'm a little more like a poodle. <laughs> Poodles are the smartest dogs, aren't they? I've heard they're the... All right, like then a, i got to pick another like, dog. I was trying to like, come up with... Poodles are like super intelligent. <laughs> so uh, my, my point for the poor illustration was uh, I, I look at the pastors as well-meaning. Yeah. Love hopes all things. And uh, I, I, pastors are wired. They want to be peacemakers. They don't want conflict. And, and that's just, a lot of them, it's not in their nature. And, and for a lot of pastors, they're yielding to Caesar like a wife submits to a husband, willingly but knowing, hey, when it gets too much, I'm pushing back. And I'm looking at it saying, you don't understand government, meaning if this is the husband and the wife picture. You don't understand government. I've been in government. And Russell Kirk said that politicians are actors performing a script written by the audience. And if, if you don't write that script by participating in the public square, they're going to write the script for you, and they'll take everything you give them. And so the, the fascinating thing is when people push back on me with Romans 13, and they've done it with you too, mm-hmm. they say the Bible says that you're to submit to all positions of authority appointed by God. They're there for our good. I said, yeah, I agree. Well, then why are you not submitting? I said, well, you don't understand the government in which you live. Right. I said, right. around the world, you can take a look at that and you know, be a Dietrich Bonhoeffer and figure that out with, with Hitler and all these other things. But the United States of America... Romans 13 is identified this way. The authority in America is found in the first three words of the preamble of the Constitution. We the people. That's the sovereign. Amen. And these elected officials govern by our consent. And they're bound by the seven articles of the U.S. Constitution. And the Constitution doesn't give us rights. It is designed to protect us from the government usurping the inalienable rights God has given to us. And if they violate that, which they swear to defend, and they must, if they violate that, the Declaration of Independence says it's our right and our duty to push back. And so I'm exercising Romans 13. I'm the authority. and, and, And so are we the people. And when they violate that Constitution, we have to be educated to that capacity. Now, here's the problem. The, 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 the body of Christ has abdicated the public square. Yeah. You stepped out. You checked out. 15,280,000 evangelical Christians in California. Half of them are not registered to vote. Of the half that are registered to vote, only half of those vote in a presidential election. 12% a non-presidential election. You don't educate your children. You, you, and, and when the Bible says in Timothy, as you pointed out, to pray for kings and those in authority that we would live quiet and peaceable lives in all godliness and reverence, I asked pastors, can you name for me your five school board members and your five city council members that you pray for by name and the issues that they're dealing with in your community that would allow your people to live quiet and peaceable lives in all godliness and reverence? No clue. You can hear a pin drop. This, this is a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. A constitutional public only works when people participate. And you've been abdicating that while you've been running after your baubles and trinkets, and you don't have time for the school board meeting. You don't have time to research all the candidates. You don't contribute to their campaigns. You don't host coffees. You don't walk precincts. And they govern by your consent. And your apathy is consent for the opposition to run amok. And while we've been sleeping, they have dominated the state. They own the executive, legislative, and judicial branches of our government, the secular progressive movement. And the only entity left in California to push back is the church, but it's sound asleep. And the question is, to what extent are we willing to awaken? And I'll, I'll leave this last thought that of the 15,280,000 evangelical Christians, most of our pastors have 
50 years ago, we abdicated the public square. We gave it up. And, and there's a, a famous passage, and you know it, where Jesus is up at the headwaters of Caesarea Philippi. And this is, it's a beautiful park-like setting. And, and, and when you go up there, you see that every, um, every culture that had dominated the region built uh, a temple to their god or goddess. One of and my favorite it, places Yeah, it's to all go. in the cliffs, and you can mm-hmm. see every, every god and goddess represented. He makes a long journey from Galilee up to the headwaters. And he's at Caesarea Philippi, and he turns to the disciples, and they're hearing a cacophony of noise of everyone worshiping their separate deity. And in the midst of this noise, he says, who do men say that I am? And the disciples say, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say, generally, he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, well, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but my Father in heaven. Amen. And then he says this, Upon that rock, I will build my church. No. Ecclesia. King James translated it church because he wanted to control the church. Jesus didn't use a religious term. He didn't say synagogue, which means synagogue. He didn't use temple. He used a secular term. He co-opted it. You look at any Koine Greek lexicon and look at that word Koine, or excuse me, you look at that word for ecclesia, it means public square, yes. assembly. Wow. He, he has called you to step into that. Yeah. And now the church, nowadays, we say that, um, bro, I just, I just preach the gospel. I, I, don't, I don't do politics. I don't get involved in that I don't stuff. get involved. And I say, why? I go, ah, politics is dirty. And my response to the pastor is, well, so is the church. What's your point? <laughs> yeah. And then, and then they'll use this line. They'll say, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm tired of voting for the lesser two evils. And I go... <laughs> Unless Jesus is running for office, you'll always be voting for the lesser two evils. Again, what's your point? And they go, I just preach the gospel. I go, so do I. But Jesus didn't say make converts. He said make disciples. And, and I say, what's, what's the point of the law then? Why did God give the law on Mount Sinai? He goes, ah, oh, well, Ephesians 2 says we're saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And the law is there to show us we can't keep it so that we're, we come to salvation by grace. Okay, I got you. I said, but Ephesians 2 isn't the only place where we're saved by grace. Genesis 15, uh, confirmed in Romans. Abraham believed God and was accredited to him as righteousness. Yes, yes. You're saved by grace in the Old Testament, saved by grace in the New Testament. So, why 430 years later after Abraham made that profession, why 430 years later did God give the law? We have 3 to 5 million Jews, and this is America, and pay attention. 3 to 5 million Jews were in bondage slavery, no freedom. They worked all day and someone else benefited from their labors. And they cried out to God. God sent Moses. Moses confronts Pharaoh because God said to go tell uh, Pharaoh to let my people go. He goes and tells Pharaoh, let my people go, the Lord says. And Pharaoh says, who is God that I should listen to him? And then he opened up a can of Jesus that no one could put the lid on. (laughs) Ten plagues, three of which the Jews went through, by the way. And then the Passover, which is a depiction of Christ. And then Pharaoh relents, releases his economy. Three to five million Jews leave. They have no more slave labor. He realizes it's going to implode, so he sends the army out to bring them back. And God causes a darkness for them and a light for the Jews, parts the Red Sea. The Jews get through the other side. He drowns Pharaoh's army. And then they get into the wilderness, which is a polite way of saying desert. Three to five million Jews in the wilderness, every morning God provides food and manna, miracle, 
just think of the logistics to feed three to five million people. Water where there isn't water. Quail would be blown off course when they would whine. They wanted meat. Their clothes didn't wear out. Their shoes didn't wear out for 40 years. Moses goes up on Mount Sinai and God gives him a downloaded moral app. First five commandments are relationship with God. Second five commandments are relationship with, the, with each other. He comes down the mountain and all of Israel's in debauchery. Golden calf, they've got a rave party going on. And he says, you're to instruct your children with these. Tell them. He puts them in the center of the community. The entire community surrounds the center of this moral law. And here's the greatest miracle of all that I've listed. And pastors forget this. Three to five million people lived together for 40 years without a police force or a standing army because they had a moral law. It says in 2 Corinthians 3, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. When you take the Lord out, you lose liberty. And so our founders understood that when they made us the sovereign, every king needs a counselor. Right. Kings have their counselor, president has his cabinet. They finished these seven articles. They declared that it's a bottom-up government, that the people are in charge, holding these governors by consent of the governed under these articles. And they said, you know what? The king, the sovereign, needs a counselor. So they gave the First Amendment. The press, the pulpit, the freedom to peaceably assemble for right of redress of grievances against the government, and the freedom of speech. If the press is aligned with the government and the pulpits are silent, the people are rudderless. And only a moral people can govern a republic because liberty is not man's idea. It's God's idea. And if it doesn't come from the pulpits, we're all in trouble. It's time to awaken. And that's what you're doing. And that's what you're doing. And that's what California needs to do. And we can't give up on this state. And people aren't the enemy. They're the opportunity. The ones who are coming to our church are not churchgoers. They're surfers and skaters who've lost their beaches and their skate parks have been filled with sand by an overreaching government. And their streams of liberty have dried up. And now they're moving upstream. And when they come into the church, because we've taken a position to stand in opposition, at cost to ourselves that we've already given to the Lord. It doesn't belong to me. And I say, you know what? I'm glad you're here. You've been going upstream. And I just want to tell you where the source of that liberty is. It's Jesus. Because you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they start to get it. Yeah. No doubt. You asked me a question about how am I dealing with all this. First of all, countless people when I came in said, we've been praying for you. I've been getting calls from all over the country, people praying. Uh, 14 churches, more than that, North Carolina have all spoken. Because I've, I've spoken there, I've spoken around the country. Pouring in prayers. And I know they are. Notes and cards and letters. 56 years I've been on this planet. Breathing his air, living on his dirt, eating his food, drinking his water. Trying to live by his rules. And in those 56 years, I have never in all my life had the peace I have right now. Amen. Amen. I love that. I think it's, um, it's an incredible peace that surpasses understanding. Amen. It has to, because everybody that would look at your situation would go, man, that guy has got to be freaked out. He's got to be stressed out. He's got to be totally off his rocker, and yet every time I see you, you've just got a smile on your face, you seem to have this confidence, and I see that the confidence isn't in yourself. No. Uh, the confidence is in the calling on your life, and that is such a beautiful thing. Um, God is definitely doing something at Calvary Chapel Godspeak, 
out there in Thousand Oaks. Yeah. It's Amen. incredible. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Um, hearing, you guys hear everything he's saying, you can see why he's such an incredible encouragement to me. Um, when, when you do the things that you're doing, and Pastor Jack's doing, and Pastor Tom Hughes is doing out in, in uh, 412 San Jacinto, um, it, can, it can at times feel lonely. You know, I, I brought up to, to you um, Romans 11, this idea of, of um, Elijah. And, you know, if you don't know the story of Elijah, he kind of has a little pity party, and he's just sitting under a tree, just like, why me? I was just, you know, I'm all you have, God. That's it. It's just me here in Marietta. You got nobody else, uh, you know. And, and, and pastors can kind of feel like that. But, you know, God told, God told Elijah, he's like, come on, Elijah. You, you think I don't have 7,000 more of you just ready to go? You know, and, and when I'm around people like you, it just, it, you know, the idea of Hebrews chapter 10, why do we come together? I mean, for me to be just right here with you, it's coming together, it's you're spurring me on. Yeah, amen. And, you and, spur me and, on and, and vice, towards vice love versa. and good amen. deeds, you know. Likewise. And so I, I, I look at what you've been doing. You've been a, a part of, you know, the California Renewal Project, um, working to, to help get pastors connected because there there are pastors out there. We're trying that, we're that, trying to move the pews in, in, into politics. Yeah, it, it's time. So. And, and and people go, oh, politics. I hate that word. <laughs> you know, the definition of the word is poly meaning many and ticks meaning blood sucking, right. you know, <laughs> parasites. <laughs> but but Aristotle said Aristotle said that politics is the highest form of community. It combines two things, morality and sociability. How do, we, how do we get along? Francis Schaeffer said, how then shall we now live? And, and God intended that we live together. So we got to come up with the rules. And he gave us that downloaded moral app. And thou shall not steal, thou shall not covet, which, by the way, that brought, <laughs> rules out socialism. Um, and, and, and we have to instruct our children in that capacity. And when we abdicate the education of our children, when we're stewards of their lives and give them to a public school system that we're unwilling to monitor and observe and be vigilant over and attend school board meetings and look at the curriculum and we just give them to them for eight hours a day. We're not, we can't blame, can't blame the teacher for doing what they were doing. You never challenged it. I think we really have to wake up and start participating in politics. Morality and sociability. We, we need to... Galatians 3. This is, a, this is a kicker because the Apostle Paul who was, a, was persecuting Christians all the way up to Acts chapter 9, killing him, bringing dragging him, went all the way up to Damascus and God got a hold of him. And he would be the typical Antifa. I mean, he's the last guy that, that, that these 11 remaining apostles would have selected for the next apostle to take right. Judas's place. They, they drew straws and came up with some guy whose name we never hear of again. And the last person they would have thought of that God had appointed was Paul. Because at that time, he's killing Christians. And, and they're thinking, who's going to be the 12th? But, you know, there was a guy that came the day that, that you all came. And his name was Furry Potato. And I don't know if it was a guy or a girl because it's, it's a transitioning mm -hmm. person. Right. And nobody knows really the, the gender. Um, and and they're, they're professional Antifa. And they came to incite. And they, they were vile. The things they were saying to goad and incite people. And they're prepared to sue you. And I mean, this is professional to them. And as I thought about furry potato, I thought, that's the Apostle Paul. I wish Christians had the zeal 
that furry potato has yeah. for evil. I wish that the Christians had zeal for good. Yeah. They're willing to travel to, to Newberry Park to contend for culture. And, and, I, and I, I think out there, there's, there's one of them, and they're going to realize that they are kicking at the goads. They're, they're pushing. You know, it was, it was Paul who had to hold the cloak when they stoned Stephen. Paul sat as a Sanhedrin on, on the judgment of Jesus when he was crucified. He knows the name Jesus. And when he said, when the Lord knocks him down, he says, Lord, who are you? He says, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. And then the next thing out of his mouth is, Lord, what do you want me to do? And, and they're going to get that. They're fighting, and you throw a rock into a pack of wild dogs, the one that barks the loudest is the one that got hit. These fringe folks, pray for them. I, I really believe that people, there needs to be an awakening and a revival in the nation. And, and it's, it's not an us versus them mentality. People aren't the enemy. They're the opportunity. God loves them. Amen. And when you start to present to them the idea of liberty and you can articulate it and bring them to the source, you're one beggar showing the other beggar where the food is. We have a lot to offer this state. Yeah. We just haven't been willing to speak about it. Yeah. And we've been shamed into silence. We've been muzzled as though your opinion doesn't matter. Yeah. And you think... It's peaceful to be silent. Peace is not the absence of danger or conflict. Peace is the presence of the Lord in the midst of it. Amen. And then I would say this last in Galatians 3, I alluded to it. The Apostle Paul, after he's converted, would go on to give us the dissertation of liberty. He's the one who wrote, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty for which Christ has set you free. Second Corinthians, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. But he wrote Galatians 3. And this is fascinating, because people say, well, then why did God give the law? Galatians 3. The law is a school teacher, better defined, a guardian to protect us and keep us safe and point us to Christ until faith comes. So as we step into the public square, the ecclesia, and you contend for good laws for the entirety of your pluralistic society that your founders gave you, to contend for your neighbors so that these laws protect their children and generations to come. And God speaks of immigration. He speaks of finance. He speaks of economics. It's all in the Bible. Amen. We just don't study it enough. We, we've truncated and made the gospel myopic. Where you raise your hand. You're, God bless you. I see your hand. Now put something in the offering bag. And we'll see you next Sunday. That's not what God intended. He wanted us Amen. to have an intricate involvement in our cities. And it's time we get back to that. Your community needs you. Now quit being apathetic and participate. And don't throw anything at me. <laughs> I talk about the, the two things that Jesus called us to be. The, the two things that if you are here and you are a disciple of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit of God in you, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You know, I, I'm trying to continue to remind people what those two things are because the church has for so long, I've watched it over the last several decades um, with the light, they want to be attractive. Well, we just want to attract yeah. people and, and, you know, and I get that. Of course, we don't want to be, you know, we don't want people to look at us at church and go, oh my gosh, I don't want to be a part of that, you know. Um, there should be something attractive about how men, how you treat your wives, 
Wives should see that and go, I want a husband like that. And, and the way we raise our children and wives, the way you submit to your husband and, and the way you do your family, of course, they should look at that and go, okay, I want that. Um, but the idea of light is it reveals the wickedness that's in the darkness. And for so long, you know, oh, well, salt, salt is, you know, it adds flavor. And I get that, you know, people shouldn't not want us around. We should be enjoyable and add flavor to the conversation. However, salt is a preservative. You know, and it stings a little bit. You know, and I, we've forgotten that. Well, we don't want to offend anybody. When the very word of God that we all say we believe in actually says it is an offense. Well, then I won't share it because I don't want to offend anybody. Well, when we don't share it, we, we don't get out there and we be the salt and the light God's called us to be. And the reverse this, is true. This you is go, where we get. The, the word is an offense. And so he said, well, then I'll just, you know, then I'll just be offensive. So, look, <laughs> they're arresting me because I'm, I'm standing on the word. No, they're arresting you because you're an idiot. Right. You're, you're just being right. rude. Right. You know, you, you're being bombastic. You're, you know, you have a little tenderness in there. Right. Seasoned with salt. Yeah. Yes. Uh, the, the, the salt and light conversation where Jesus says, you know, you're, don't, don't put your light under a bushel. Let glorify your Father in heaven by your good works. When I hear the Sermon on the Mount, and I've heard that light penetrates, salt uh, preserves. Um, and you have preservation and illumination. I love that. But I also like this. When Jesus was giving that sermon, and he said... You're, you're the salt of the earth. If salt loses its flavor, it's thrown right. out, trampled underfoot, good for nothing. Good I'm for like, nothing. salt loses its flavor. That stuff's it's around forever. And, and he's talking to people who understood Latin. Right. Rome right. controlled. The value. And there's Roman right. soldiers present. Mm -hmm. And anyone hearing this sermon would understand the word sol. That's Latin for salt. Where you get the word salary. Salary. It comes from you're worth your weight in salt. You were paid in salt. It was a very valuable commodity. commodity yeah. And Jesus is saying, if you don't know the currency, you'll be trampled. I, I'm not saying this as a dominionist. I'm, I'm using a, a psychological term. I don't, I don't apply this biblically. Please understand. Because people accuse me of a dominionist. I'm not. I'll, I'll contend with you on that. So don't label me. <laughs> I'm using these terms that psychologists use, so just back off. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and these are true as, as barometers for culture. There's seven barometers for culture that drive culture. Dominionists call them mountains that need to be conquered. They're barometers for culture. Arts and entertainment, media, business, politics, education, religion, and family. Those drive culture. But in each of those, there's a currency, there's a salary. And Christians don't have a clue. Especially politics. There's one currency in politics. And, and I've, I've won three of four elections. I'm batting 750. I'm, I'm, I could, you know, batting title. I mean, that's good. I know politics. I'm the faith outreach coordinator for the California uh, Republican Senate minority and the assembly minority. I'm, I'm up and down the state. I know how to get people elected. I work hard. The currency in politics, I'm going to tell you right now, the currency in politics is one thing, winning elections. So if you come to me and you say, you know, 2016, I can't vote for her because she's just abhorrent to me, and I can't vote for him. He's been three times married and twice divorced. I'm going to vote third party. Okay, that's a moral, pietistic position, and I look at you and I say, great, but you're irrelevant. 
I, I, I'm not sending you a mailer. I'm not even going to go seek your, your, your vote. I've, I've dismissed you. I'm, I'm going for, I want to win an election and you're out. You go vote third party. And you say, well, I, I can't vote for someone three times married and twice divorced. I say, okay, fine. Take Samson out of the hall of faith then. And they go, what do you mean? I go, name one moral thing about Samson's life. I can't teach it in Sunday school. <laughs> he was in a prostitute's bed all night and the spirit of the Lord came upon him to break the bonds. <laughs> I, 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 I don't, he went to go pay off a gambling debt and the spirit of the Lord came upon him. He's one of only two people in the scriptures prophesied while in the womb that they would deliver God's people. One was Jesus and the other was Samson. He's raised with a Nazarite vow. That's like homeschooling. <laughs> and, and when he comes of age, we finally get to see the first words that this prophesied child speaks. And this is his first words. Mom, Dad, go get the pagan woman. I want to marry her. He went off the rails. And you go, why would God choose this guy and put him in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11? Judges 14.4. What Samson's parents didn't realize, Manoah and his wife, is God was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. Samson was equipped and willing to do what God's people weren't, confront the culture. So you think, every one of these seven areas has a currency. Politics, it's winning elections. Arts and entertainment, it's selling tickets. Media, it's you know, followers on your social media. And you just go down the line, business, on, on and on. So let's look at a man three times married, twice divorced. Why would God pick a guy like that? Yeah. And a lot like Samson, he's got iconic hair and his downfalls women. So I don't know. <laughs> but why would God pick this guy? Well, let's look at those seven areas. Arts entertainment. Number one television show in America. Media. He won the election with a Twitter account. Politics. He took out 16 Republican candidates and the most heavily funded Democratic candidate in the history of the nation. Business. The Trump brand is world-renowned. Family. Three times married, twice divorced. His ex-wives have a great relationship with him, and his kids adore him, and they're all successful in their own right. Not perfect, but pretty good. Religion. Name one person who's done more for religious freedom in your lifetime than this president, and for life, for the unborn, than this president. Name one. Yeah. So the point is, when, when, you, when you look at people trying to engage in the public square, we have to understand what the currency is. We have to be educated. You have to understand how the world works. If we remain in this bubble and we call it a church instead of the public square where we're supposed to go, and we find ourselves comforted in here, we're going to be fighting over an ever-decreasing piece of the pie while we become wholly irrelevant, bound by these four walls. Jesus didn't intend you. you you are the assembly. You go out. You're the called out ones. It's, it's kind of like this is an aircraft carrier and we're the captain of the ship. It's not the love boat. Although you look like Captain Steuben, kind of, but I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> but it's an aircraft carrier and we're the captains of the aircraft carrier and you bring your jets in and they're all beat up and, and, and we, we patch you up and then we send you back out and the ecclesia goes out. And wherever you are, that's the presence of Christ. So you need to know the currency where you're residing and bring the Lord into that place. And it's time we start understanding the political realm because if God appoints all positions of authority, then let's get in there and participate in that. Amen. So, right. there you go. I don't know what I, I just... <laughs>
I'm, I, I'm, I'm Irish and I talk a lot. I'm Irish too, so... Well, look you, at you now there, look at you. Were you raised Catholic I was, I was my, my mom and dad were Catholic. <laughs> so were mine. Well, look at that now, yeah. Were you guys part of the CIA, though? Uh, Christmas and Easter only? Or no, what? that's the Catholic uh, Irish alcoholics. Uh, yeah. That's, that's my family. God, God, <laughs> God invented whiskey to stop the Irish from ruling the world. Gotcha. <laughs> you got to remember that, Don. <laughs> I've got a great Scotch joke for you later. <laughs> right now, there, laddie, I'm a wee bit Scottish as well. <laughs> so, what would you say the people that are here tonight and everybody that's watching online, what would you recommend they do to start getting engaged in the public square? Uh, that's a great question. It's a great question. And I'm going to take it from the position of a pastor because in 2013, I didn't know my elbow from my earlobe when it came to politics. And though my parents... We, I didn't grow up church going. We were CEO Christians, Christmas and Easter only. Um, and they, they, there was a, a respect. And my parents were, you know, honest people. My dad had three tours of Vietnam, Navy captain. My mother was president of Republican Women. My dad was president of Rotary, president of Chamber of Commerce. He ran for city council twice. And my mother would make me walk precincts. And I remember meeting Ronald Reagan when I was like 10 or 11. He signed his best wishes, Robert McCoy, Ronald Reagan, rubbed my head. He didn't realize then that he was endorsing me today, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> but but I, I remember my parents being so involved in the community. And when I came to Christ, and I stepped into a church and, and systematic studies and, and Calvary Chapel's part that I'm a part of, notoriously apolitical. And I, and I couldn't understand why. And everything that I loved in California, everything I voted for would lose, and I'd bring candidates in, and I'd get a letter from Barry Lynn, C Citizens United for the Separation of Church and State, threatening me, and, and I just thought, what's going on here? It just seemed odd to me. So I would just do my best to engage, and I was a history major, so I knew a little bit about American history, and I just thought, what's going on? Well, 2013, I'm invited to go as the teaching pastor to uh, Israel with Governor Rick Perry. He was thinking of running for president in 16. So it's 2013, I, I take this trip. And on that trip is Senator Shannon Grove. Uh, at the time, she was uh, Assemblywoman Shannon Grove. And I'm teaching at all the Christian sites. I'm uh, tying it in with um, American history and the like. Um, and she comes up to me and she says, who's, who's your Congress member? And I told her. And she said, who's your Assembly member? I told her. Who's your State Senator? I told her. How do you know all this? I said, I'm engaged. I, this, I grew up doing this. She said, I, I, don't, I don't know a pastor like you. And, I, and she said, you know American history? I said, well, it's my upbringing. So time passes and she calls me. And she said, uh, Jeff Gurrell, who was assembly member that I sat next to in the assembly, is running for the congressional seat. It's empty and I'm calling to see if you'll run for that seat. I said, well, I know we have a bicameral legislature with a Senate and assembly, 80 and 40, but I have no idea what the assembly does. She said, don't worry about it. I'm a quick study, I'll figure it out. And my wife and I prayed about it, and the Lord said, run. I didn't know the first thing about campaigning. And people started getting excited about it, and I, 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 it was fun. And at the peak of the campaign, we had 650 volunteers. And I remember when I prayed and I asked the Lord if I should run, he gave me a verse. I think it was Job 13, 15. I might have the citation wrong, but I know the verse. Yea, though he slay me, yet will I praise him. 
I should have known then. Yeah, yeah, that should have been a clue. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought the Lord was saying it was going to be tough. But it also says run in such a way as to win. Mm-hmm. And we ran hard. And, and we gave them a run for their money. And uh, stories involved in that, we don't have enough time. But at the conclusion of it, I lost. I won the primary, lost the general. And I built so many friends and understood the Republican Party in a way I'd never understood. And because they attacked me in the primary, spent a million dollars against me in the primary, I didn't let it affect me. I just kept doing my game. And then when I won, they sent their campaign manager down and they would give us a million dollars, but they said, we have to assign a campaign manager. We had a bunch of volunteers. We were doing it without them. I said, fine, it's a million bucks, send them down. Three weeks into the campaign, one of our campaign workers leads this guy to the Lord. And he's my best friend to this day. He's Ryan Hatcher. He's precious. And people are making phone calls or leading people to the Lord on the phone. And we started to understand the process. And now the Central Committee said, where'd you get all these volunteers? I said, they're just excited. So the entire area changed because people stepped in. And then all these politicians who weren't churchgoers realized Christians actually will participate. And they're willing to understand our world. And now they'll give you opportunities and, and we'll make you delegates to the party. And we'll have you, you know, and, and that can happen. They're waiting for people to show up. I didn't realize that. I got, I got a rapid education and then I lost. And they came back, all these people were excited. Well, run, run for the office that your opponent vacated. I'm like, no, I'm tired. And I did, I ran, I won by 52 votes. Two, two candidates that were heavily funded, both had experience. I'm just nobody. I won by 52 votes because of the efforts of God's people and, and the community. And you know what you call somebody who wins by 52 votes? The winner. <laughs> Last part. I won re-election by over 4,000 votes. And I was going to win handily in this next election. That The community, every single one of the elected officials that I worked with during the shooting and the fires, I have a love for them. And, and I'm ideologically opposed to many of them, but I love them. And they know it. I've served them and they've served me. And they, they were sad to see me go. And I did a good job. And they're having to process this. And I've gotten traction in the community because I served in the community. Christians can be behind a wall throwing bombs. And that's what they expect of you. Why don't you step over the wall, go involve yourself and get to know them. And then you're going to end up realizing they're struggling and they're, they're just as happy you're here as you're happy to be there. And they'll open up to you. 